This is the word of our God. May we give our attention to it. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my, own, my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, um, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels, Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. 
And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebekah had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelet on his sister's arm and heard, heard Rebekah tell what the man said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels, and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him. But he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. And thus ends the first half of our sermon text for today. And we'll continue now. The remainder of the Genesis reading, Genesis chapter 24, beginning in verse 34. Then tell us, Laban said. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, men servants and maid servants and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, you must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, what if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and for my father's family. Then when you go to my clan, you will be released from my oath. Even if they refuse to give her to you, you will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, O oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I have come. See, I am standing beside this spring. If a maiden comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I'll water your camels too. So I drank and she watered the camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethel, son of Nahor whom Milcah bore to him. 
Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, so that I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver, jewelry and articles of clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, let the girl remain with us 10 days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebekah and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebekah on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, our sister May you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Ber Lahoi Ro'oi, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we come humbly before you, asking that you would grant us wisdom and insight into your holy word. We ask, God, that you would direct our eyes to see Jesus, for, Lord, we would see him high and lifted up. We pray, Lord, that you would allow the speaker to do so and give the hearers uh, ears to hear and eyes to see. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. once heard a, uh, a story of a young minister who was called to pastor a particular congregation. And the story goes that the very first week that he was pastor there, he preached a very fine sermon to everyone's great delight. 
Uh, they couldn't be more pleased with the man as he has come and delivered this excellent sermon. So when the second week came, expectations were high. Uh, you know, They were looking forward to seeing what else this young man could do. But when the young pastor entered the pulpit to preach, he preached the exact same sermon that he had preached the week before. The congregation was a little confused, but willing to overlook this blunder or misfire. You know, he was new. Maybe he just uh, uh, got lost in his notes. Maybe something was overlooked by this good man. But it was, after all, still a very fine sermon, and no one rebuked him for his actions. On the third week, the man again preached the same sermon. By this point, the congregation was losing its patience, as you can uh, well imagine. You could feel the hostility in the room as he's going through this action. And so after the service, one of the leaders in the church took the preacher aside and asked him, do you realize you've preached the same sermon for three weeks in a row? The man replied, yes, I do. And the leader asked, "Well, well, why? Why would you do this thing to us three times in a row? And the pastor responded, because you haven't learned it yet. Because you haven't learned it yet. Beloved in Christ, repetition is the mother of all learning. This is how we know something. When we practice something that we have seen all around us, this is what we see practiced before us on a regular basis. You know, young mothers, when they're teaching their children to speak, they teach their children uh, a word. They repeat the same word over and over and over to their child until the child learns to say it. You know, an intern who is learning a trade to, or a vocation, he must repeat the same tasks over and over and over again until it is mastered. College students preparing for finals must repeat the same basic information over and over in order to have it locked in place for the exam and then for life after. We learn through repetition. This is something the young minister understood profoundly, something he understood that the people of God must often hear the same truths over and over before they begin to penetrate us, before we hear and internalize what it means when it shapes us, how it shapes us. So what does all this have to do with our text this morning? You might be wondering well uh, enough. Uh, Well, people of God, this morning we come to a text about the meeting of a bride and a bridegroom. It's a story about a bride that has been chosen for Isaac, this one that we have come to know as the promised seed of Israel. And we come to a text that is, in essence, a long love story, as you could well uh, uh, tell from the 67 verses that are here. Many details are given here in our text about this bride and groom finally coming together. And so much is given here, so much time is spent here on the details that this chapter is actually the longest chapter in all of Genesis. But as we look at this particular text, as we walk through this particular story, what we need to see is that this story leaves behind a pattern that will be followed along or again and again in the Bible. It leaves a repetition. There are echoes of this story throughout the remainders of the scriptures. In many ways, this story will be retold throughout the scriptures. There is repetition to it. It is repeated. There are many similarities of this particular text to other accounts of a bride 
and a bridegroom coming together. And surely, though this story is, it is historical, it is unique, it is one of a kind, though there will be differences uh, from this love story to the others that follow, there is a sense that something is being repeated here, and it is intentional. There is something worth paying attention to because God will tell us the same thing again and again and again in different ways through these stories about a bride being joined to a bridegroom. And so this morning as we look at this text, we want to see both the pattern and the differences of this particular story to the rest that will follow. And we'll do that by looking at the particulars here first, and then we'll see if we can see the pattern fall echoes uh, uh, throughout the rest of the scriptures. Our text opens up this morning, and the first thing we see in the first nine verses, we see an encounter between Abraham and his servant. Abraham and his servant. As soon as the text opens up, we are immediately confronted with a problem in the text. I mean, it's in the very first verse here. It tells us the text says, Abraham is now old and advanced in years. This patriarch of Israel, this great father of the faith, who we have followed with and walked beside for 12 chapters through the scriptures, who has journeyed to the land of promise, whom God has promised he would bless and would have as many offspring as the children or as the dust of the earth and as the stars of the heavens. This one whom God has placed his special favor upon, this man that we have grown to love, is beginning to fade in the flesh. And the text makes it painfully clear that it will not be long until Abraham's death. He will soon join Sarah, who has gone before him, the mother of Israel. And the question becomes, who is going to carry on the promise now? Again, the same issue that Genesis has been focusing on and driving at throughout the whole of the text. How is God going to fulfill his promise to Abraham in the midst of these trials that they keep experiencing? You know, surely Abraham has promised that a child, or I mean, God has promised to Abraham that a child would be born And Isaac surely has been born, and he is the heir of promise that God has done what he promised Abraham he would do. But the question is, now what? Now now you have a son, but he cannot continue the godly line alone. He has no wife. There is no one to uh, continue the name of Abraham and the line of the godly. The tents of Israel are dangerously empty again. Clearly, the need is for a new mother of the godly to come along. But the question is, who? From where is this one to come from? And so Abraham calls his most trusted servant to himself, and he tells him uh, uh, to place his hand under his thigh, a sign that uh, what he is about to make his servant swear to, it's a very serious matter. This is a binding oath that he is laying upon him. And he basically makes the servant swear two things. He says, he says, swear by the God of heaven and earth. One, you will get a wife for my Isaac, from, not from the Canaanites. Swear to me, this wife will not come from the Canaanites. And two, that you will not take my son from this promised land. Now, it may seem like a, an unusual request to, ha- to us, perhaps even inappropriate or insurmountable, surely 
It is a tall order for this man to fulfill, to say, I want you to find a wife for Isaac, but not from this place. You know, I don't want him, you, him to leave this place either, this land that God has promised us. I mean, think about what Abraham is saying in his request, though. He is basically saying, look, God called me out from my own land and from my people. He called me to be a child of God. He called me to live in this particular land as a stranger and an alien to, by faith, abandon everything else in order to follow him and to be blessed by him. He called us, God's people, to keep ourselves separate from the world. And so swear to me that Isaac will not marry a Canaanite from the land. But of all the people of the earth, why this mention of the Canaanites? Why is it so significant to not marry from them? I mean, this would be, you know, clearly the most convenient, right? They are the locals. They're the ones that you're going to meet at the local watering hole. Why go through the trouble of looking for a godly wife from elsewhere? Well, you might recall back in Genesis 9, God cursed the Canaanites. They are the enemies of God himself. They are opposed to God and all he stands for. And Abraham is basically saying, it is not fitting for those who are called blessed of God to be joined in marriage to those, in marriage to those cursed of God. It is not good or right that the righteous be unequally yoked with the ungodly. And so he says, don't take a wife for him from this land. But at the same time, don't let Isaac leave this land. I don't want you, I want you instead, servant, to travel 400 miles to seek a wife for Isaac from my own country, from my own kindred, but don't take him along. Don't let his feet leave this land. Isaac has been promised this land. He is the promised heir, and surely to leave it would be a breach of faith, a return back to the very beginning, as though nothing has happened and been promised at all, for we live in this land by faith, believing that one day it will be ours because God promised it to us. And so you can begin to see the tension of the text here as it is unfolding. The servant sees it quite clearly uh, when he asks Abraham, um, suppose she won't come. <laughs> what if I leave this place and go to your household and I meet a nice girl from your family, but she won't come? You know, I mean, I mean, stranger things have happened, right? That a, a, a girl uh, would be unwilling to leave behind everything that she has ever known, her, her, her family, her life, in order to marry a man that she has never met, right? What then, Abraham? What do I do at this point? And Abraham responds, and it is a beautiful response in faith. He responds saying, don't worry, the angel of the Lord will go before you. God himself will provide for you one just like me, one who is willing to leave behind all for the promises of God. But if not, I do not hold you to this oath. And so the servant swears, and we see the scene shift again and change, and both the characters now and the location are different, and that happens several times throughout this text. As they move, the scenes are changing, and we move from the land of promise 
to the land of promise with Abraham to the servant interaction, servant's interaction with Rebecca to the servant and Rebecca. In verses 10 through 28, we see the servant depart. He makes the 400-mile trek back to Abraham's homeland. And when he gets there, he begins to pray, God, say, or um, he begins to pray to God saying, Lord, grant me success today. Then he asks God to allow the woman to pass this test that he devises. After I ask for a drink of water, let her offer to water the camels as well. Let the one who does this be the one you have chosen for Isaac. Now, this might seem like, you know, a shot in the dark. Uh, uh, Most of us think this man is laying out a a fleece like Gideon, like this is just some random test. You know, oh, Lord, let the next woman who walks by be the woman of my dreams that I'm supposed to marry. Don't do this. You know, this is not what the man is doing. You'll notice the, the servant is asking God for a woman of character. The test might seem random to us, but it is far from it. It is a test of character. The servant is saying, Lord, may the one that you have chosen be the one who shows great love for the stranger, for the outsider. May she be willing to give hospitality, just like Abraham. May this woman look like Abraham, who showed hospitality to strangers. Back in Genesis 18, those three men he welcomed into his tent. May this young girl be hospitable like Abraham and show compassion and care for the outsiders, the ones who do not belong. And before he is done praying, Rebecca appears. I love the language here. You know, behold, it's like the clouds part and uh, out comes this and the language is a, a very attractive young woman to the well. And after she gives the servant a drink, she says, And may I draw water for your camels as well. And so she begins to draw water for these 10 camels. I want you to to picture this. This is no small task that she has just begun doing. Uh, Camels can drink up to 25 gallons at a time, especially if they're thirsty from a long journey uh, through a wilderness. And there are 10 of them here. And so Rebecca has just offered, at the end of the day, you'll notice, at evening time, to draw up to 250 gallons of water after a day that surely she has already been working for her family. And the pitcher she uses to draw this water is most likely about three gallons. That is what she could easily manage at the well. That is a lot of trips back and forth from the well to the trough after a full days of work for a stranger. And yet you'll notice the language as she does it. She hurries. She does it quickly. She's not uh, uh, lollygagging. She's not doing it uh, um, because she has to. She desires to set her love upon the stranger. The point is, this one delights in showing care to the stranger, to looking out for the outsider. She loves to be hospitable. Again, you can't help but hear Abraham here in the background as those three strangers came to him. He hurried about. There were a lot of quick movements going on to care for those men who came into his tents. Rebecca's character is beginning to prove to be much like Abraham, and we'll see that unfold even more by the end of this text. And so when she finishes watering the camels, She does it all. 
you'll notice. She, she, she gives them water until they are finished. Then the servant gives her gifts and lays it upon her uh, and gives her a nose ring and bracelets that weigh about four ounces of gold. That's not bad for uh, hauling some water. And when the servant asks her what family she belongs to, she responds, from the house of Nahor, which is Abraham's brother. And the servant cannot hold it in any longer. Blessed be the Lord God for his covenant faithfulness, for his steadfast love for Abraham. That is the language all that Abraham's requirements seem to be being met. They seem to be coming together. Go to a foreign land, get someone from my own kin. And this servant is now saying, let this woman be a woman of character, for she will be the mother of the godly. And so when these things begin to come together, as it begins to pull together, finally he praises the God who keeps his promises, the one who is faithful, the one who has surely gone out before him. As the angel of the Lord, even as Abraham has promised he would do so. And the scene ends with Rebekah running home to her family. And we see now in verses 29 through 61, the interaction of the servant and the family. The servant and the family. Rebekah runs home. And before we even hear the story retold, Laban sees the bracelets and rings in her nose, and hears briefly about this man, and Laban rushes out to greet this stranger. Uh, and we're kind of clued in to the kind of person Laban is right away. You know, seeing the gold, he runs out. That is what uh, uh, makes him seek out this stranger. And there is some foreshadowing here about the character of Laban, things that we'll see unfold later between Laban and Jacob, about how Laban always is following the money. And Laban brings the man and his caravan back to his house and does all the right things hospitality-wise. He feeds the camels. The men wash or feet are washed and the food is set out. But before Abraham's servant is able to eat, he refuses food and says, until this matter is settled between my master and this household concerning a marriage proposal, I will not eat. Basically saying, look, here's the deal, Okay. And then he unloads the whole story. He recounts the entire story. You'll notice the repetition even within the story itself. He recounts the whole of it back to them. Every detail is retold as he finishes. He concludes, you know, uh, that this is clear, that God has led him to Rebekah to be a wife for Isaac. And he concludes saying, basically, this is from God. Will you bless it or not? Because if not, I will move on. And the family, they couldn't be better here. The family confirms his interpretation of everything that has unfolded. They say, this is from the Lord. What can we do? Take Rebecca and go. And so the servant brings out gifts for the entire family. Basically, this is the bride price. These gifts are to make up for the fact that Abraham is taking a working daughter from them and their family. And the next morning, the servant rises and he says, send me on the way 
The Lord has blessed my journey. Because of that, do not delay me. And Rebecca's family says, let her stay for 10 days. You know, it seems reasonable, right? They're probably never going to see this daughter again. The Hebrew is a little more ambiguous here. It's more like, let her stay for 10 days or so, or maybe a few months. There's no real specific end to the request of time that is being given. And so the servant puts his foot down, saying, in essence, do not delay what the Lord clearly has blessed. Let it come to fruition. And so the family says, let the woman decide. Will she stay with her family for a while longer or will she go now? Will she leave immediately? Is she prepared at this moment to give up everything? To leave behind a family that she will never see again? A homeland she will never know again? Will she look back when she has put her hand to the plow and you're sort of holding your breath at the minute. This is maybe the last obstacle in the way. Every obstacle has been hurtled over as you come to this point in the story. But now Rebecca still has to say she will go. And indeed, a test is laid before her. Will she go immediately? And she says, I will go, meaning I will leave now. Again, you have echoes and glimpses of Abraham in her. She's not going to turn back. This whole event is clearly from the God of promises and now she will follow him all the rest of her days and not look back. She has set her hand to the plow. And so she passes the test here with flying colors. You get the sense that there is something ideal about this woman. She is a model of faith and righteousness as she is displaying again and again as she passes all of these tests that are laid before her. And so her family sends her away, giving her a blessing, saying, may your offspring possess the gate of your enemies. Almost verbatim, the blessing God gave to Abraham himself after he was willing to give Isaac in Genesis 22. She receives the same blessing This is clearly an excellent choice for the people of God. Here is an impressive bride, one who looks just like Abraham in all of her ways. And the scene then shifts as they depart from her home country. In verses 62 through 67, we come to the final scene where we see Rebecca and Isaac. Rebecca and Isaac. And the scene, you know, it can't be more picturesque, right? No, I don't know if Hollywood could do a better job with what is written here. You know, Isaac is walking about in the fields or meditating in the fields, and he lifts up his eyes and he sees Rebecca coming from afar, and he rises to go out to meet them. And Rebecca, she too raises her eyes, and when she learns that this is her betrothed, this is her beloved. The one she has journeyed 400 miles to come and see, she veils her face, showing that she is prepared to be wed. And the text tells us they go to the empty tent of Sarah and are wed. The betrothed are finally brought together. The text tells us Isaac was then comforted with Sarah's after Sarah's death. Clearly, though, what you're seeing is the shift of the mantle from Abraham and Sarah now being placed upon the shoulders of Isaac 
and Rebekah. The legacy of God's people now rests on them. uh, This one who is the ideal husband, the promised seed with the ideal bride who has journeyed from afar in order to hold on to what has been promised by God. Abraham could not have been more pleased with this bride than if he had chosen her for Isaac himself. In all of this, you cannot help but see the pattern that is formed that will echo the rest of scriptures. There is a pattern established here, and we begin to see what this wedding points towards, this pattern of a bridegroom or a man who goes in his place going to a foreign land. And when he gets to that foreign land, there is an encounter at a well. And the water is drawn at the well. And after the initial meeting, someone rushes home to tell their people about the encounter. And a wedding is always a result of this particular pattern. You see it in the life of Jacob, who we will come into in 10 chapters. You know, Jacob will flee to a foreign land in fear of his life from Esau. And when he reaches that land, he comes to a well. And as he is at the well, he lifts up his eyes and he sees Rachel. And he proceeds to water her flock. And Rachel runs home to tell her family about it. And eventually, a marriage is a result of this encounter. Moses himself follows this same pattern. After killing an Egyptian, he was forced to flee from the land to a foreign Land, he eventually comes upon a well. And after driving some shepherds off who have stolen it from them, there is an encounter between Moses and Sipporah. And they go home and tell the family all about it. And the result is a wedding that comes from it. And it's all very interesting to see these patterns, to see these uh, echoes throughout Scripture. But why make a big deal about this particular pattern? Is there anything more about it than being just interesting? I mean, what does it mean for us? Why does it matter to us? Beloved of God, it means a great deal when we see Jesus. Jesus enters a foreign land, into the land of Samaria, and he comes to a well. And at that well... We witness an encounter, not with an ideal woman, but with a sinner of sinners. She is rough around the edges, surely. She is no Rebecca. She is no ideal woman. She barely offers him a drink of water, but she is a sinner through and through. And the woman, after this encounter at the well, the woman runs to her people about an encounter with a man who tells her everything that she's ever done, calling for all of her people to come out to this particular well to meet this man. And eventually, a wedding is a result between a bride and a bridegroom. People of God, this is your story. All these betrothal stories, they point beyond themselves to the one who came in order to claim a bride to himself. But we were very much unlike Rebecca. We were never ideal in his eyes. We are more like the woman at the well. We are dreadful sinners. We were unrighteous. We were not desirable or pleasing to behold. And yet Jesus came. And he came to purchase a bride. 
And he paid the price for her. He pays the ultimate price to ensure his success, paying it with his very life and sealing it with his blood in order to guarantee a wedding, a betrothal of God's people to himself. That is where Revelation ends. With a bride adorned for her husband, the city of New Jerusalem coming down, adorned as a bride. It is all culminating there. We are to be his bride, adorned for the marriage feast of the land. Beloved is the name God speaks over you, dear Christian, and beloved, surely he has set his love upon you, and I assure you, it is not because we are ideal brides or because we were wonderful to behold or because we were righteous, but because God loved you so much that he set his love upon you, and that's what the story is about it is about a bride being chosen by God for himself. However unlovely or lovely she may be, Christ has come, and Christ has come in order to draw a people to himself, a faithful bride chosen indeed for the promised seed of God. Amen. Let's pray. Our God, we come before you and we ask that you would reveal yourself to us, even in these words. Father, we pray that you would show us how you have sought us and bought us and pitied us when we were enemies, when we did not look like the woman of Rebecca, when we were not ideal, when we were clearly walking in sin and unrighteousness. And yet, Father, you sought us and you bought us and you pitied us when we were enemies. We were unlovely, enemies of God, and yet you befriended us. We were uh, um, sick in our own sins, and yet you healed us. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to draw us near to yourself. Help us to see that we are indeed your bride, we pray, Father, that you would adorn us as one fit for a bridegroom who is perfect in all his ways. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to sanctify us, grow us more in the image of Christ, that we may be worthy of being called your bride. Help us to see the grace of the gospel more and more clearly throughout this life. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.